Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Great job, team. I love that song, right, church? I want you to think for just a minute, use your imagination to remember your childhood home. Actually get it into your head. I know that for some, you may have mixed emotions about that home, but I wanna encourage you to try to think of the good things that you remember from that home. Hopefully some warmth, some love. Are there any smells that come to mind from that home? Think of the good ones. (laughs) Any specific colors or furniture? Think about the rooms, think of the kitchen, the dining room and the various meals that you had there. Think of the bedrooms. Was there a yard? Was there a fence? Think about the street that you were on and your neighborhood and maybe some of your friends. Isn't it amazing how we can remember things from that stage of life, especially like kindergarten, first, second, third grade. Like for me, at any given moment, I can just say uh, 2112 Marymount Arch, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23464, which was the house I lived in in like first to fourth grade. And that's the only house that is forever in my memory. Anybody with me? The vast majority of the other houses that I've lived in or apartments, I can't remember their address or their zip code or anything like that. Because especially early on, we are shaped in profound ways by the house that we grow up in. Of course, not as much just the brick and mortar, but what's happening inside of that house, the culture, the tone of the house, the systems that the house operates by, the expectations, the unspoken values, these things shape us as kids. And I believe this is why the heart of God burns with passion for his house. We are raised up as followers of Jesus in the house of God, like what we just sang about. And that's why God cares deeply about the culture in his house and the tone used in his house and the systems used in his house, the values, the expectations. And the text we're gonna look at today to finish chapter two of the gospel of John, which we're studying through this entire gospel. It is called Believe, which is the theme of the whole book that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The text today speaks to us about how passionate God's heart is for his house. And it's called the Father's house. And we're looking at John two verses 13 to 25. It is a surprising story based on what we typically know of Jesus and what he did on the earth. So if a bunch of questions pop up in your mind as we read this, stick with us. We're gonna dive into all of this. We believe in the public reading of scripture, so I'm just gonna read the whole text, and then we're gonna go through verse by verse, starting in verse 13 of chapter two. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. 
They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you were going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your passionate heart about your house. We humbly sit at your feet this morning and ask that you will teach us, correct us, guide us, rebuke us where we need it, encourage us where we need it, strengthen us, Lord, through your spirit, by your word, we pray, God, in Jesus' name, amen. A bit of context is really critical to begin to get the heart of this story. In verse 13, where we began, it said it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And at that time, in the Jewish people, prescribed by God, there were three primary festivals, Passover being the main one. And every Jew wanted to get there for the feasts, particularly, particularly Passover. There are some that hoped to get there once in their life. And so you have to think of the whole city of Jerusalem getting ready for absolute craziness because of the amount of people descending on one area. I happened to be in downtown Nashville a couple years back, not realizing it was the NFL draft. Do you guys remember when that happened? I was there for some meetings and uh, all of a sudden there were like dudes surrounding me without shirts that had painted different colors, yelling things at each other, all kinds of things because they had come from all over the country to rep their team. And these are the hardcore NFL fans. These are the ones who like need a pill to calm them down. Like I'm like, dude, all right, we get what we, we, we know you're passionate here. It was crazy in downtown Nashville during the NFL draft, shoulder to shoulder people. It's already crazy down there on a regular day. This was nuts. And it was a lot of fun. I got to say, I enjoyed it. It was hilarious. That and more is what Jerusalem was like, but not about the NFL draft, of course, about the Passover feast. Think about the businesses in downtown Nashville, knowing that the draft is coming in. They are excited because they are going to make a killing. The coffee shops that's normally did this on any given day are gonna double or triple or quadruple that. They're ready with all their supplies and it was the same way in Jerusalem. Nothing wrong with that. It's just high volume. They're gonna make a lot more money. It's a business opportunity. But people started taking advantage of this opportunity as well. We read in verse 14, in the temple courts, Jesus found people selling cattle. And it's important to note, this is actually in the temple courts. They were selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others were sitting at tables exchanging money. When it says exchanging money there, it's talking about something specific contextually as well, because every Jewish male was required to pay a temple tax, and it was in the amount of a half she shekel. But during this feast, they could not use any foreign currency in the temple. They only accepted Galilean shekels and sanctuary shekels. So there needed to be money exchangers where foreign money could be exchanged for the money 
that was accepted. So normally that's an okay practice because it's just something that's needed. So someone creates a business out of it. But what they started doing was during the feast time, they would raise their rates so much and begin to take advantage of the foreigners that were coming in. Yes, the Jews, but also the believing Gentiles. They took advantage of people with the selling of animals as well. And this is all documented in the, in the contextual history of the area. You had to use pure animals for the sacrifice. So your only option was to buy one of the ones provided for you at the temple, but they were seriously gouging the prices, all happening in the outer courts of the temple, which again is the only place the believing Gentiles could even come to worship and pray. So imagine the stage. Here we are at the temple. It is the place where God said he is going to dwell with his people, with his presence made manifest, the holiness of God. And directly outside of that, in the outer courts, it has become a circus of corruption and taking advantage of people. The priesthood was taking advantage of people. The buyers and the sellers were taking advantage of people. And Jesus got there and his righteous nature compelled him to act. Verse 15, so he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. And I imagine his heart breaking as he's saying this, stop turning my father's house into a market a little bit of history about the temple. The temple they were in uh, had been up for decades and it was originally built by Solomon as recorded in 1 Kings. And it is literally the place where the presence of God, especially in the Holy of Holies, would be so very thick. It was his dwelling place and his promise among the people of God. And twice in the ministry of Jesus on earth, he cleansed the temple. It gives us a little further clarity in one of the other accounts, Mark eleven seventeen. Look what it says. As Jesus taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So they are breaking one of the 10 commandments in the outer courts of the temple during the Passover feast. The prophecy originally came out of Isaiah 56, 7, teaching us about this heart of God. And by the way, this whole chapter, if you read Isaiah 6, it's, it's about how the, the kingdom of God is ultimately gonna be open to the foreigner, which the Jews did not understand at the time. They were the people of God and they had not fully understand the revelation that God was gonna open up to all people. In other words, everyone that's not a Jew is a Gentile. Most of us here would be Gentiles and foreigners in the original house of God. And this chapter is prophesying it will be open and look what the Lord says. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is the burning heart of God for his house. It is a place of calling on the name of the Lord. It is a place of communing with God in his presence, dwelling in his holiness for all people. Yet that had been lost and people were using it to make a profit. Number one in your notes, the people of God had forgotten the purpose of the house of God. People were being taken advantage of, used and even abused in the house of God. Does that sound kind of familiar? We've got a good measure of that in our day and time, do we not? 
feel like we can't go a month without hearing about a new scandal. Verse 17, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Number two, Jesus has a righteous nature that will right every wrong and bring justice to every injustice. This is good news. This is part of the good news. This is part of the zeal of God for his house. Justice where there is injustice and right where there has been wrong. And to you that have been hurt or abused or treated unjustly, especially in the house of the Lord or by people in the name of Jesus or people that you trusted as leaders in the name of Jesus, I just want you to know that the Lord not only sees you, but he burns with passion to make it right. I believe that's part of God's heart. The key here is that justice belongs to the Lord and we can't carry it in the same way that he does. If you've experienced this kind of pain and hurt, you also know that when you turn it into bitterness or hatred in your own heart, it just further bogs you down. We are very much incapable of this same kind of righteous anger. It is very hard for us in our humanness to be angry and not sin. Have you guys learned that? Scripture says, be angry, but do not sin in your anger. Who's really good at not sinning in their anger? If you raise your hand right now, I'm just gonna smack it down. <laughs> he wasn't listening. It's all right, Christian, I love you, dude. I'm not gonna smack it down. Speaking of child abuse in the church. <laughs> Think about it. I'm not making light of the pain you've been through. I'm not saying that I understand it or have walked in your shoes at all but I know that you cannot carry it and you can release it to the God of justice who will make all things right. Here's what I would love to say to you today. Don't let what someone wrongly did in the name of Jesus stop you from being in God's house. Do you know how many people allow what was done to them in Jesus' name to then isolate themselves and further hurt themselves? In some ways, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here. You at least, you have the courage or the ability to show up in a place like this. Do you know how many people I pray with and counsel with and talk to on a regular basis that it, it would be one of their greatest fears to ever even walk into a room like this because of their history and their trauma? And I always encourage them the same way. I encourage them to try to lay their burdens down to the only one who can do anything about it. It's not to make light of it. It's not an easy fix, but I really encourage them, don't isolate because of your hurt. You know, many things have been said about Jesus and done in the name of Jesus. Many things, many horrific things, but the truth about Jesus is what changes everything. And we, we suffer in isolation and we heal in community. And so you can't let your pain keep you from true community. And we're gonna talk at the end of this message a little bit more practically about how to exist in a place like this and, 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 and what it means to actually trust people. Jesus talks about it a little bit in this text that we're looking at today. So put a little pin in that. And here's the declaration, number three in your notes, and it's just right from scripture. The Father's house will be a house of prayer for all nations. May we be a house of prayer for all nations. And let me remind you what I alluded to earlier. The context of this prophecy is when it comes to the foreigner. And we need to remember that when it comes to God's house, we, as probably mostly Gentiles here, guess what we are when it comes to God's house? Foreigners. 
We didn't have it first. We are the outsiders. We are the non-Jews. We are the ones who would be wanting to get a little glimpse in. Can we possibly ever have a relationship with God? What does it mean to be on the in crowd? What does it mean to be born in that? That, that is the only reason why we are here. We are the foreigner. And how crazy is it that our human nature then we would come in, and I'm not saying this to you, but this happens in, it might be in us a little bit, and God will deal with it. But, but then we, we think it belongs to us, and we close the doors to the foreigner. We might not say it that way, but sometimes that's what our actions communicate, right? I, I doubt many people in here, if I just interviewed you, would say, oh, there's some people that aren't welcome here. But some people still get that message at times by how we live in the world, and that's not to make, this is not political commentary at all, but Christians should be number one, top of the list to welcome the foreigner into the house of God. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means, let it land where it will. Again, not making political statements, but this is part of the heart of God. His heart burns for this. Again, you would not be here if the foreigner was not welcome in the house of God. Your kids would not be here. Your grandkids would not be here. Let's open up the house and let's communicate that by how we live, right? May we be a place known to be a house of prayer for all nations. And then the Jews in verse 18 responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Because this is a crazy moment. He flipped over tables. He's whipping things. I mean, this is, this is crazy, Jesus, right? This is wild, and so they are like, how, are, how do you have any authority to do this? They're basically asking, are you claiming to be the Messiah? And multiple times when they had these kind of confrontations, Jesus answered them as he's about to right now, basically letting them know, yes, I am the Messiah. He didn't say it in so many words. And it's good to note, they didn't necessarily not hear that message. They just chose to reject that message. They consistently said, no, you are not the Messiah. And this is a picture of that. In verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. What a bold thing to say in such a moment. Jesus responded to their demand for a sign by promising to give them a sign. He literally told them what was going to happen. And then they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days, Jesus. What are you talking about? Are you delusional or are you demonic? What should we do with you? What talk about a threat? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, so fast forward a few years, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. That then right there is so fascinating to me and I had not ever thought of this until this studying for this sermon. These disciples were with him for three years in person, saw the power of God on display, saw the miracles, were a part of it. But at least for some of them, it's telling us that it wasn't until after the death, resur- the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus that they remembered what he said, and then they believed his words. Then they believed the prophecy. That means they were following him, a part of the miracles, listening to what he said while still not being sure of the whole situation. Isn't that good news? I tend to think that people that 
don't struggle at all with, with, with doubt or, or feel like they just have really clear, simple answers for everything to do with God are probably not really thinking that honestly about God. And they're probably not thinking that honestly about themselves. I just want us to feel permission based on this text. You can be a follower of Jesus, giving your whole life to him, sacrificing everything for him and still wake up some days or see something that, that Jesus does or have something happen in your life and be like, I don't know about all this. That's okay. Bring it to him. What they did was they stayed with him. They kept walking with him. And from the other perspective, I wanna ask you this question. What can you recall, this is in your notes, about God's witness in your life that causes you to believe now? Especially for those of you that have been walking with the Lord for a while. What can you look back on in your life and see something that God spoke to you? Maybe something that someone prayed over you that now when you recall that, it stirs faith in you. It's like the song we were saying, all my life you've been faithful. And even people that have been through horrendous things, I, I talked a little bit about Kelly Ferreira in first service and she's not here right now, but she was sitting right here in first service and she doesn't mind me saying this. She has been through one of, uh, one of the most challenging and horrendous childhoods, childhoods I've ever heard of that she's been through. And she'll, she'd be happy to tell you about it if you wanna hear about it. Um, she not only survived it, but came to know Jesus and ended up free and healthy and now ministers to people that go through that same thing. And when she thinks back about when she felt abandoned and alone as a kid, she doesn't regret it because God has taken what the enemy intended for evil and actually flipped it for good and has used it to cause her to be who she is right now. So there are things she can look back on. Oh my goodness, now I see what God was doing, even flipping what was intended for evil for good and it builds faith in me now. And I love that that was happening in the disciples lives. Reading on in verse 23. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. And here's the closing part of this teaching that's really helpful. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. And I've been taught about this text and I believe it's true historically and contextually. There is a difference between trusting someone and entrusting yourself to someone. So this is not saying Jesus wouldn't trust anyone. He did trust people. He trusted Judas, who he knew, he would, who, who he knew would betray him. Judas handled the finances for the disciples and, 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 and was the treasurer of their team, if you will. He trusted Judas, even though he knew what was to come. He did not entrust himself to people because he knew what was in them. And I wanna encourage you with this in number five, like Jesus, don't entrust yourself to people. Again, it doesn't mean do not trust people, but it does mean do not rely on people to be your secure hope. Do not rely on people to be your lasting peace. Do not rely on any person to be your meaningful purpose in life. Still love, Still give yourself fully, but don't become cynical and disillusioned when you get let down by people because people will let you down, always. Remember, the context of Jesus teaching this is right after we see human nature on full display when the people of God manipulate and abuse the house of God for personal profit. If you entrust yourself to those people, 
you will be very let down. And if you entrust yourself to those people, it may shake your faith to the core of its foundation. You shouldn't even entrust yourself to your spouse. If I entrusted myself to Jessica, it would be me saying, you are my hope, sweetheart. You are my reason I can live and be, have, a, have a life of peace and salvation. It works good for like country love songs. It doesn't work good for life because my wife will let me down. My wife is not my salvation. I am not her salvation. I let her down a lot more than she lets me down. If she entrusted herself to me, she would be bummed out quite a bit because I'm pale in comparison to the faithfulness of the living God. We only entrust ourselves to one. That's our savior. I love what Rick Micey, a friend of mine said, Jesus was never disillusioned because he was never under any illusions. So let me just say it this way when it comes to the Graceland Church family. When you get hurt here, notice the way I say that? When you get hurt at Graceland, not because we're a place that likes to hurt people, but because we are human, it is absolutely inevitable. When you get hurt, it will only be a problem for you if you have entrusted yourself to Graceland or to some leader here. So you can be here and trust and live, but do not entrust your soul for its primary hope. Jesus demonstrated what it was for us to do on the contrary. Think about it. Jesus talked often about his father, God the Father. And he said, I only say what God the Father tells me. He built rhythms in his life to break away from everyone else and be alone with who? The Father. So here's the encouragement on the flip side. Like Jesus, fully entrust yourself to God the Father. He's the one. Fully entrust yourself. This helps make sense of and gives us a practical pathway to still engage in the church when we've been hurt. To still engage in relationships when we've been hurt. People don't realize this, but I, as a pastor, I have to do regular work daily in my life to not become cynical about people letting me down. Regularly. Because, and just like you do in, in various situations, but sometimes in pastoral work and ministry, depending on how you're thinking about it and how you're pouring into others, it is just a, a long list. And for me, it's been 20 years now in vocational ministry and, and 11 of those as a senior pastor. And if I carried, and sometimes when I do, carry all of those disappointments or letdowns or things that feel like betrayals or pain or whatever, I would never love another person again. <laughs> I would never hang out with someone and, and offer my, myself to be in relationship and like do life with them again, never. I'd be out so fast. I would have a different career. I would figure out something to do. I'm not doing that. But I have to do the work, come back and say, I entrust myself only to you, Father. You're my only reason. You're my hope. You're my source. You're my security. You're my peace. And, Tides go up and down, everything could come and go. I remain with you. And from that place, you can then live healthy. And you can serve people because you don't need something for them. Well, one of the things my dad told me a couple years ago that is just, I feel like is so profound. He said, you will either love people and give them room to grow or you want something from them. <laughs> Only those two options. And the more you entrust yourself to just the Father, the more you can actually love people. 
You don't need things from them anymore. You're not looking for them to feed you. You can just pour your life into them. Don't get me wrong. You still need people to carry your burdens. I'm not talking about being like a, a John Wayne Christian at all. I'm talking about who you entrust your soul to. You guys tracking with me? Anybody tracking with me? We're gonna close with this. The way we've talked about the temple is very Old Testament, very Old Covenant, if you will. We are in the New Testament, the New Covenant, the age of grace. And in the New Covenant, 1 Corinthians 6, here's what it says about the temple. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So all of this story that we see in the temple courts, internalize that into your own walk with God because you, number seven, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have become the temple. And here's my question for you as the band comes on up. Are you willing to let Jesus do some house cleaning in you? And then more directly, what is he clearing out of your house? Maybe it is, maybe it is something where you're taking advantage of somebody or someone that you should be loving. You're actually just wanting something from them and using them. Maybe you are doing that and, and God just wants to clear that out of you. And he wants to let you know that's not the way to live. That's one thing. We wanna bring that to the Lord today. On the other side of that, I believe that the primary one who wants to take advantage of you in your own temple courts is the enemy of our souls, Satan, who would love to get things called strongholds and lies embedded in you so deeply that he can take advantage of you in your own temple courts. Are you tracking with me? And just destroy you day after day after day after day after day. Those things like fear. Those things like being consumed with jealousy or envy. Those things like losing your sense of gratitude and just being angry all the time. Those things like being consumed by lust and you can't even figure out how to look at people or look at anything without lust coming to your mind. Whatever it is, striving to get to wherever you wanna get. These are started by lies that the enemy puts into us that take advantage of us and beat us down. And you know what Jesus says? He literally wants to take the whip and like whip it out of the temple courts. Turn the table over. This is not how we're called to live. Like I hope you'll even just get a, a glimpse or a flash of a vision that there can be life apart from debilitating fear. It's possible. Doesn't mean that you won't have to do the work and, and battle it and, and keep the truth in your mind and heart. My prayer for you is that you will live a life consistent with what God says about you. And they will, you will commune with him, the manifest presence of God, fullness of joy in his presence, in the holiness of God. We're welcomed into the, the, the very holy of holies, the place that was reserved for the high priest in the Old Testament, the most intimate place of communion with God because of Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, veil is torn, we are given access into the holy of holies. Yet sometimes when you have things in your temple courts that don't belong there, you don't think you can even go in. You don't think you belong there. You belong there. You are the beloved of God. So Lord, today, this morning, we bring our hearts before you and we lay down humbly 
And whatever it is that you're speaking to us, we say yes to. We say, forgive us. We say, teach us. Help us to actually walk in your way. Let us actually experience life change through Jesus Christ, through the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We want our lives to actually change. We want to be moving toward you, Lord. What a joy, what a gift. Church, prayerfully, let's respond and sing this song together, and then I'll come back up and pray with us, and and we'll dismiss. But just ask yourself now, God, what are you saying to me? And what are you calling me to do about it as we sing? Church, if you want to pray this with me and you want to lay your burdens down, let's, let's lift our hands up. No one's looking around. No pressure. You can just lift your heart up if you want. But there's something about just saying, Lord, I lay my burdens down in your house today. I thank you. I thank you for the Father's heart that welcomes us into a house of prayer. And though some of us have been hurt in places where we should have been able to trust people, we choose to still seek after you, God. We choose to still seek community. We choose to still love others and take the risk of loving others and being loved. I pray for healing in people's hearts and minds in the deepest places. And Lord, we pray that this house, Graceland Church, would be truly a house of prayer open to all nations, God, that it'd be filled with your presence, overflowing, God. We hear the testimony regularly that as people walk onto the property, they sense your nearness, Lord. And we pray that that would be the case, including at our fall festival, anything ever going on, God. And even more than that, may our presence as the church, as we live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day of the week, may our presence be a reflection of the Father's house in this community, welcoming people into communion, welcoming people to lay down their burdens, to lay down their shame. And like the song says, we, we pray that prodigals will come home. Church, just pray with me for a minute. We'll dismiss and just, we pray that prodigals will come home. We pray that friends of ours that don't know you will come home. We pray that family members that don't know you will come home. We think of neighbors. We think of people that are isolated and hurting and that don't want anyone to know. We pray that by your spirit, you would draw them into family and use us, God. Do miracles in people's lives. Do miracles in our lives, God. May they be signs of your glory, Lord. We thank you that we get to be a part of your house and may we never forget just the blessed joy and free invitation to come and lay our burdens down at any moment of any day before you, our King, the only one to whom which we entrust ourselves. We thank you that you are trustworthy and you are faithful and you are true. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, I'm gonna read this benediction in just a minute. Let me remind you, uh, talk to Bethany about Fall Festival. We'd love you to get involved. Uh, this screen will be back hopefully next week. I know we forced everyone to shoot way over here. It, it, it died on us suddenly, and so we just didn't have any other options. We're gonna actually replace both projectors this week just because they're like 13 years old. So new projectors. Um, let me pray this over us. Was that the kids out there? What did I just hear? Wow. I'll pray for all the parents who are going back into the real world. Go in peace, love and care for one another in Christ's name.
and may God bless you with every gift needful for his work. May the spirit grant you the willingness to risk yourself for the sake of the gospel. And may the love and the compassion and the hope and the faith of Jesus dwell richly within you till the time of his coming, both now and forevermore. In Christ's name we pray, amen.